This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. All right. And uh, we are in chapter 6. But I've got to tell you a discovery that I had this weekend. When I have these discoveries, I just have to share them with you because um, as we are going, as we're going through these chapters, I don't know how you do it, but I go back and I I start all over again. Before I start the new lesson, I go back. I go right back to John one, and I just I just kind of quickly go through so that I remember the. The pattern, how, you know, the John 1 is kind of an intro. Um, kind of John tells us exactly why we need to study his particular gospel, why he wrote this gospel. We then are introduced to John the Baptist, the forerunner. We find in, in John chapter 2, we see the water um, turned into wine. And, and then, of course, in chapter 3, we see the Nicodemus. In chapter 4, we see the Samaritan woman. And in chapter 5, we see the invalid. Now, this particular week, I saw a connection. I saw a connection, what Jesus is trying to do in these chapters. And he's doing it progressively. He's starting with his mom first. And, and this is what, what really kind of excited me is that he started with the woman that he knew the most that probably he was the closest to. And he even, when his earthly ministry started in John chapter 2, basically, he had to tell his mom. He didn't call her mother. He called her woman because he wanted to make sure she understood that he came. He came for her too. He came to be her savior as well. So even though her calling was to bear the Christ child and that and she raised him for 30 years and now he is moving out and he is... So what's my point in all this? Whether it be Mary, whether it be Nicodemus, whether it be the Samaritan woman, whether it be the invalid, he gets our attention first. He does what he has to do to get our attention. And I saw it with every one of these people that he did. I mean, here, all of a sudden, they run out of wine, you know? And so his mom comes running up to him, and he says, well, what do you want me to do? I would say he's got her attention. And he, she has to make a decision right there, right then and there, that when she turned and said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. It was a test to get her attention to see if she, his own mother, believed who he was. I mean, she has raised him, you know, from this little baby all the way up. You know, your tendency is just a gnome in that human state. And so he is starting to say, okay, are you going to see who I am as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the one sent? And so he gets the attention first. He did that with Nicodemus. He did it with Samaritan woman. He even tried to do that with the invalid. And we're going to see a real difference between the Samaritan woman and, in chapter 4, and the invalid in chapter 5. There was a contrast. So, okay, he gets the attention first. Then he sees if your curiosity is up enough to start asking questions. And if your curiosity, once he gets your attention, then you have to start, because he doesn't expect all, he doesn't expect any of us to know everything all at once. 
I mean, that's why we come every week. That's why we study every day is because there, this is just, he's limitless into knowing him. And so um, he, he wants to see if we are curious enough to want to keep going because there's just, there's just a bottomless end to this. Do you want to know? Because remember, I said last week, and I said that one of the most striking things in the Samaritan woman's story is when Jesus said, if you only knew. And, I, and that, that just got me because I want to know because I don't want to miss. Because obviously, if I don't know something, that means I'm going to miss what he's got. So, you know, so, okay, first he gets your, he gets your attention, and then he's going to try to see if you're curious enough to keep going with this, keep going, keep going, because it's endless. Are you going to ask questions? Do you, if you don't have answers, are you going to seek the, if you don't have the answers and you've got questions, are you going to try to find them? You know, do you want to know that bad? And he can tell. Now, we saw with the Samaritan woman, we saw that her curiosity got her to ask questions. And, and then we saw with the invalid, we saw Jesus healed his legs. And then when he was asked, when the, when the invalid was asked, now that he was healed, um, because they said, um, don't you know that you're not supposed to be carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And he said, you know, he pretty much said, don't blame me. The man who healed my legs is the one that, that told me to carry my mat. And uh, I don't even know who he is. That guy never even asked. Now, doesn't that get you? That got to me. I'm thinking, that shows character. That shows your kind of character. When, when you have, when, when Jesus has got your attention, and there's no denying that. And yet, you don't even want to know more. You're not, you're content with what you know. You don't realize that, that it's just, I mean, it's ongoing what you and I can know about our Savior. And so, here this guy, so Jesus, what did Jesus do last week? He went, he went again, he, he went to him. He went back to the invalid. And he said, you know, he said, uh, look. You know, your, your legs are healed. But then his next words were, stop sinning. Stop sinning. In other words, he's saying, you know what? You didn't make any change. You're still just all about me. It's all about me. Because he didn't say, stop sinning, because maybe he was robbing a bank at that time. He said, stop sinning, because he hadn't made any change. Because he didn't ask any questions. He didn't care. That's the bottom line. He didn't care. And that's the thing, I think, why it's so important that we look at these in such a deeper way and say, he is, he is saying, look at yourself. Are you, are you, I got your attention. Now, do you want to know enough to ask questions and keep going and keep studying? Or don't you care? You know, and, and then because my next point was he does expect in fact, it commands a response. He gets your attention. He wants you to ask questions so that you'll grow and learn and keep going. And he does expect a response. He does expect it. You know, don't, don't think for a second that he is doing this all for nothing. He's doing it because he expects a response from what you're learning. And he expects a change. 
It's, this is far more serious, I think, than what I think when we just read the stories and, oh, yeah, I know that. And, and like tonight, I mean, it's such, a, it's such a chapter of familiarity. I mean, you have heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000 humpteen times. When Jesus walked on the water, you've heard that story so many times. I'm hoping now that you're starting to realize that Bible study is when you read even a familiar passage and you stop, and that's why, you know, reading it every day is so good. You stop and you think, now why, why is that in there for me? The feeding of the 5,000, why is that in there for me? Just so that I know is, wow, you know, wow, you can really do, well, he really took, he really took, you know, five little loaves of bread and two little sardines and, you know, oh, that's really amazing, you know. But what did, what did that brilliant, miraculous sign what does that say to you? And that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. So my discovery this week is with every person that he's dealt with, so starting with his mother, he is saying, I'm going to do, I'm going to get your attention. But then now it's up to you if you're going to be curious enough to try to ask questions and want to keep learning and growing because he does expect a response. So, all right, now sometime after this, Again, John doesn't say you know, how long, but sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Now, they're coming, they're following a crowd. I mean, he is developing a crowd. And the reason why is because he's doing all these miracles now, Jesus knows that he's got to do something. I mean, he's, he's new. You know, sin in Genesis 3 changed everything. Well, Jesus has come to change everything back. So even though he's been promised for hundreds and hundreds of years and they should have been looking for him and all that, he knows that they're not. They're following him because he's doing tricks. You know, he's doing all these miracles. And, you know, maybe for some, they think he's a great circus act. You know, I mean, it's amusing. It's entertaining. I don't know. He knows that not everybody is following him for the right reasons. But at this point, he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get them to, because he knows if I get their attention, then maybe they'll listen. And then maybe they'll want to know more. And they'll keep listening. And they'll keep learning. And then they'll respond. They'll respond and say, yes, Lord, yes. So, yeah, he's got a big crowd following him. And so he went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, now he picked Philip. Remember, he's got 12, and he knows how to individualize. He knows what lesson, because he's got to get these 12. Now, we know that 11, you know, that Judas will not be a part of the group, but then Matthias will come in. So there will be 12 that will, bottom line, bring the gospel to the world. So he has got to take these young men, you know, just plain old fisherman, tax collector. You know, they're all unique, and he's got to teach them. And he knows how to meet us where we're at. He knows the gifts and abilities he's given us, and he knows how to get our attention. So in this particular, in this particular instance, 
he goes to Philip. Did you notice he singled Philip out and we don't see the other 11? He went to Philip. Now, why would he go to Philip? And, and again, I just sat there and I think, now, why did he choose Philip? Now, why? Now, you know, not Nathaniel, you know, not, you know, any of the other ones. Why Philip? And I think because of the way he questioned him, he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread? I think, I think Philip is the brainy one of the bunch. And I think that he has a calculator. I think he is just thinking. And I think, I think sometimes, you know, some people are so smart that they smart themselves right out of faith, you know? And I think he, I think Philip is a smart because look how Philip answers. Well, because look at after Jesus said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat, Philip? And then John had to just put this in there so we know. He asked this. Yes, this is to Philip, only to what? Test him, only to test him. So I couldn't help but ask in the questions, why does, why does Jesus test? I mean, I mean, we see it right there. It says it right there that Jesus deliberately did this to test Philip. He tests you, he tests me. Does he kind of wonder sometime if the testing has to prove, not to him because he knows it all, he tests us so that we could say, hmm, I guess I didn't, I guess I wasn't quite as smart as I thought. Or, oh, I guess my faith wasn't as strong. Oh, I guess I put too many buts when I say, I know the Lord's in control, but I think he knows that we need to be tested to see if our words match our actions. Do we really have enough faith? Do we really believe enough? And he will test us to make sure that our words and our acclamations and our actions all go together. So I think Philip is the, the brainy one. I think he's, he's the numbers guy. And so Jesus knew that this was going to be big numbers because he knows the great crowd. And so Philip answered him. I think his mind is just going so because he didn't say three months. He didn't say 10 months. He said eight months. See, Philip is from this area, so he knows the people. And Jesus knew that too. Jesus knew that Philip was acquainted with this area and all this, and he understood these people. But he also is calculating in his mind. He is saying, you know what? Eight months of wages wouldn't even be able to buy them a bite. Now, doesn't that sound like, would you be able to come with that? I want to come up with that. But in Philip's mind, he calculated that eight months of wages wasn't even going to buy a little small morsel for them to bite. So, another of his disciples, here comes Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Now, I First, I thought, way to go, Andrew, because Andrew, what does he say? Oh, here's a boy with five little barley loaves and two small fish. I mean, you've heard this story enough. You know this is the little boy's lunch. So it's five little barley loaves and two little fish. But I'm thinking, way to go, Andrew. Because at least you're bringing this to Jesus saying, you know, I know it's not much. 
The only thing is, the but. Did you notice that? The very next word, after, after he said, well, look, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish, and I'm getting all excited thinking that, that you know, he's, he's getting enough faith to believe that Jesus can handle anything. Except, out came but. And I thought, okay, I'm starting to see why this lesson is for us, because how often don't we say that we believe that he can do anything, and that his will is perfect, and he knows exactly what we need, when we need it. And we can say all that, but when we say, but, because look, but how far will they go? What does that sound like to you? But how far will that go? So that's doubt. That's, does that sound like the smartest man in all the world, because he asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. And so he writes 31 chapters of such great wisdom. Does that sound like when he wrote the third chapter and he said, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And guess what he'll do? He'll direct your path. He'll make a way. He's the answer. But the criteria, you got to trust him with all your heart. And I'm thinking, that started so good, Andrew. You were starting to say, trust him. I've got five little loaves. i got two little fish. And then he stuck, but logically, reasonably, doesn't that sound like I start to trust my own understanding? And I forget to acknowledge him and who he is. And again, I go back to John 1. Remember why John wrote the gospel? So you and I will know who he is. And this is just another example. He wants them. He wants Philip. He wants you and I from this lesson to know who he is. And stop with the buts, would you? Stop killing the deal. Stop killing your faith when you say, I believe he is, I know he can, I know he will, this is what he promised, and then leave it there. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took those loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. I bet Philip's jaw was just dropped. <laughs> he can calculate all he wants. But this was miraculous. And those five loaves turned into enough to feed. And in fact, those two fish, the same thing. And then purposely, Jesus said, now go collect the leftovers, not just the crumbs that people spilled. There was leftovers. What verse does that remind you of? Ephesians 3.20, where Paul said he is able to do immeasurably more than you and I could possibly ever imagine or think because his power is at work in us. 
So what does this lesson? He can take a little. I don't know if you've ever stood in the mirror and you've compared yourself to someone else and you've got a little discouraged or you think that he can't possibly use you because, um, you know, after all, I don't have any abilities like so-and-so or I can't do any of that. And, and, you know, and before you know it, you're not doing anything and you've just used all the excuses you can. And so there he's it. And then you wonder why defeat and, and down and, and disappointment and discouragement and despair, all those words come, you wonder. It's because you looked in the mirror and you really didn't believe that he can take a little and he can do a lot with it. Did you ever hear that old song, Little as Much, when God is in it? And this is, I believe this is the lesson he wants to teach those disciples, what he wants to teach Philip with all of his smartness and with all, with all of his brain capacity and all the calculating. He's saying, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I am who I am, and I can take a little. When it's offered to me, and that's why we're saying I surrender tonight, I surrender all. Because, you know, there's so much grumbling going on. We see so much human nature going on in here. And, you know, what is grumbling really? What is, what is grumbling? Grumbling is when it doesn't go according to the way I want it. And so the remedy for grumbling, we sang that tonight too, and that's why I know you were laughing to some of the songs tonight, but, but the answer to your grumbling and my grumbling is I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. And when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And there's no way you can say yes to the Lord and grumble at the same time. There's just no way. So then it's a matter of your choice. So here he's trying to get you and I to see is that would you look at a familiar story and believe the same principle about you as he did in this story is that you can look in the mirror and you can come up with excuses, but he still, he still wants to use you. He wants to use me. He wants our willingness. He wants our surrender. And if we just offer it to him, he then takes it from there. So when they all had enough to eat, he said, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet. So it's capital P, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, Jesus, knowing, Jesus knowing everything, he knew what they were thinking, he knew what they were saying, and he knew that they were going to intend, they're starting to, they don't understand it all yet, but all they still see is themselves, and they know he's the prophet, and they still want him to be their king, so they want to take him by force, so that they really want Jesus to be able to tell the Romans to stuff it. They basically want to be able to, after all what the Jews have had to go through, they've had to go through so much under the, the tyranny of Rome that they, they, have, they so want this person to be able to say, okay, let's 
put them in their place. Well, you know, we know, Jesus knows, so he knows that that's what they're going to try to do because, again, they're still so self-consumed. See, and that's natural. Until we meet Jesus, until we grow in Jesus, that is just the way our human nature goes. We are self-consumed people. And it's only when Jesus takes over our heart and life. How many times haven't I said, once you've been to the cross, guess what? It isn't about you anymore. It's about him. Because old things, the old you, has departed. And the new, the new you in Christ. It is no longer you that's living. It's Christ that li- that's living in you. So it's a whole new way. But until Jesus takes over your heart, it is going to be all about you. Now, they're starting to grow a little bit. They're starting to think he's the prophet. But they're still self-consumed. And so Jesus knows he's got a long way to go. And because he's loving and patient and gracious, he will keep them moving in that direction. Okay, now, when, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. And when they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum, but now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. I really appreciate when science and scripture really go together. I mean, this was, uh, these fishermen, they know this Sea of Galilee, and they know that this can come up. This wasn't new. The Sea of Galilee gets rough. And I went searching, and why why can that Sea of Galilee all of a sudden become very rough? Like, I mean, this rough. Now, we know that Jesus is going to use this as a lesson, but, but scientifically, the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. It's 600 feet below, so it sets low. And so the mountainsides, it's kind of in, and the mountains go up around it. And because of the, of the temperature, it's very, very hot during the day. And then when it's dark, and that's why I think it's John is making sure we know that it's dark, and at dark, it cools off terribly. I mean, it gets cold there. So when, when the coolness of the air at night, at, at dark, it hits that warm air that was there during the day, 600 feet below sea level, it creates this wind tunnel, and that wind whips up and causes storms. So that is, isn't that interesting? I mean, that is scientifically a real reason why this particular sea can get rough at night. And that's what John is making sure we see these details. It is dark. A strong wind was blowing because that's what it does when it meets the hot air. It then pushes on the waters, causing the big waves. Now, when they had rowed three and a half miles, now that's about halfway. And that's not coincidence either. Because if you're halfway, that means no matter which way you go, I mean, there's not one side near to the other, you know? 
They're stuck. They're right smack in the middle. And that wind and those waters are ripping. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And again, because they don't know, they're getting to know him, but they're not that confident yet. And so right away, their mind doesn't quite go to, oh, that's Jesus. They're terrified. They, they can't make sense out of this. Some kind of ghost. Well, anyway, they're scared. But he said to them, it is I. It is I. Don't be afraid. Okay, again, a very familiar story. So what do you think he wants you to learn from this? Do you ever have a storm that just comes up suddenly? Does, does, uh, do you ever have a surprise that all of a sudden one day, um, yesterday was fine, today your world's falling apart? You know, that's just the way it is for everybody. I mean, we have surprises. Storms come, and they come sometimes without warning. And so often in our humanness, what do we do when a when surprise, when a storm, it throws us off? It kind of jolts us. What is this story? When your storm hits, where, where is Jesus, by the way? Where, where do you know that Jesus is? He's right there. He's walking right there. His spirit lives within you, and this is the beauty, and I hope you're catching on how useful that trinity is in all of its different forms. But we know that even though literally Jesus isn't walking by us in our storm, we know that he has sent his spirit who is walking, that he will never, that's, that's the equal God. It's God walking with us. And he's saying the same words to you and I in our storm as he said to them. And the big question is, do you really believe when he says to you, because he's saying it to you, but are your ears tuned in enough? Do you want to hear him enough? Because he is saying it. He's saying these exact words to you. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't you want this story? Don't you? In, in your next storm, if you're not in a storm now, you know a storm will come or you know that you've been in a storm, but whatever. It seems like, you know, they, they come and go. Now, because of tonight, because the Holy Spirit has put you in John chapter 6, in a very familiar story, now the Holy Spirit is going to be able to, in your storm, whisper in your ear, it is I, don't be afraid. Are you going to be willing to hear those words? And is it so easy to say yes and near now? But when we're jolted, when a surprise hits, just I, I pray you let the Holy Spirit do his job, and that is help you recall what you've learned and that you know, and your actions are going to show. Because remember, he has got your attention with your storm, with that surprise. He got your attention. And now, are you, 
Are you curious enough to, to get to know him more and go to his word because you believe that his word is all you need and he is going to whisper in your ear the same words that he said to them? It is I. It all goes down to when I'm in it, am I going to do it? It all sounds good when we're safe in here and we're listening to these stories, but this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where these familiar stories have got to come into our own lives and we determine that we're going to be a Samaritan woman instead of that invalid. We want to know him. We want to know that he has a purpose in all things. We want to know that he will supply what we need. He will get us through this storm. And he has a reason to test us. He has a reason. And it isn't to make you and I sad and miserable. It's to get us to know him better so that we can trust him better and more. That we can dare surrender more. Because I'm going to repeat, it all sounds good to sing that song, All to Jesus I Surrender, but unless you really know who he is, you don't surrender your life to someone you don't know. You really don't. But again, the more that you ask questions, the more you get to know, the more you will find you dare surrender, even when you don't like it or understand the reasons for you just know him. Okay, so the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that the only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. But they had gone away alone. Okay, so, oh, I almost forgot one thing. When, what happened after Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid, then the, then they were, how did I almost forget this? Thank you, Lord, for taking me back, because I would have blown it, because this is an important point. (coughs) Because when you look at verse 21, it's so easy to think to just kind of rush over that. But that is a big verse. Okay, they're terrified. They hear Jesus' words. Then, to me, they have to decide what they're going to do. And it said, then they were willing. They were willing to let him in the boat. In our storm, when it makes no sense, are we willing to let him in? Or are we just still trying to rationalize and trying to blame him and tell him you better and you gotta and or are we willing to let him in the boat and where does he where did he bring him he brought him right to where they were at and guess what our storms are to do bring us bring us right where he wants us to be the storm takes us where he wants to bring us spiritually there's a lesson in everything he does and he's saying, if you're willing to let me in the boat, I guarantee you, I will land you where you need to land. It doesn't say, I will, I will land you where you always want to be. 
He said, I will land, I will land you where he landed them where they were heading. And who knows where we're heading more than the God who created us and made us and is keeping us in that forward motion, growing and maturing. No one knows us more where we're heading than him. And he said, let me get in your boat during the storm. Don't be afraid. It is I. And I guarantee you, I will land you where you need to be. Because a lot of times, if, if, you, if you can testify to this, this is a testimony. If you can say that when you've gone through the storm, maybe it didn't even, you didn't get the answer that you wanted. But if you can really attest to the fact that that storm really, well, you got to know him better. You found that he was sufficient. You found, you found some quality about him that you didn't know before. That because of that storm, you know him that much better. And see, that's his whole purpose of what he's doing to the disciples, to the crowds, to you and I. Because he knows that we're so human and we're so self-consumed. And he's got to move us beyond that to know that he's God and we're not. And he knows what's best. We don't. Okay, when they found, okay, so now the people are starting to try to figure this out. In verse 23, it said that then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum to search for Jesus. Now, you know, they're saying, hey, there's something going on here. We know how many boats left here. We know Jesus didn't go with them. And now none of them are here. And they're trying, let's get in the boat. Let's. And I first looked at that and I thought, well, that's good. They're searching for them. You'd think that that, that would be a good thing. But remember, he can see why you're searching why you want to know. He can see the exact motive. And now look, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? I mean, this is a good question. I mean, we know that you didn't go in the boat with them. We're trying to figure this out. And now you're over here too. Rabbi, teacher, when did you get here? Did you notice that Jesus didn't answer? Oh, he answered them, but he didn't answer their question. He could have said, oh, you should have seen that. I was walking on water, and uh, I was doing all these things, and boy, I mean, he could have really made a colorful story, couldn't he have? But see, he knew. He knew their hearts, so he answered this way. And did you notice, I'm hoping you're catching this every time he says this, I tell you the truth. You better perk up your ears. And he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. This truth, I am truth. I, I am your answer. This truth that he says, I tell you the truth, it's not that mere, and I'm not lying. He's saying, I tell you the truth. This is life-changing. 
you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs. See, just another reminder that, you know, we can all, on the outside, it can all look well and good, and we can even ask questions. But he can even tell the motive of our question. And sometimes, because of our motive, he doesn't even answer our question. He can tell whether you really, now these people, they didn't really search him for, again, what he could do for them, what, what, who he was, teach him who he was. Look what he said. This is what I saw. You are looking for me not because of you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You know what he said? You know what he, he really is saying here? It's about mealtime again. And you're hungry. And I'm your meal ticket. He could tell that I want to know where Jesus is, so what can he do for me again? Not for who he is. And this is something that we fall so, we are, I know, we've got to be made aware of it because we do without even realizing, Lord, I'm searching, I'm asking questions. Are you asking questions because you want him to fix you the way you want? Or do you want to get to know him better so you can start surrendering and trusting him for his will in your life? There's totally two different answers there. There's totally Totally two different reasons why you're asking that question. And he can tell that these people are asking him because let's see what he can do for me now. Let's see if he can, maybe he can um, do, he can make a better meal. You know, you don't know what they're thinking. All he knows is that it's all about them. And so now, because Jesus will use that as another lesson, he will use this as a teaching tool and pretty much this teaching tool is, he says, I want to make sure you are, that you got priorities right, that you, that your life is not all about materialism and all about you and all about um, what you can achieve and what you're comfortable and happy. I mean, let's face it, we all want to be comfortable and happy. We want an easy ride. And Jesus says, so often we get caught in that trap. We want it all about now. I want to be comfortable and happy now. And we're not looking ahead. We're not looking to the bigger picture. And so he does it for them. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Let's see, what is your life all about? What are, where is all your time spent? What do you care about the most? And he's saying, I just want you to think about that. How much time do you spend with me? How much do you really want to know? How much, because it does take work and study. It does, it does take time. And I can see it. I can see your motive. I can see all what you're doing with your time. Everybody's got the same 24 hours. If you really do take this seriously, he's saying, 
How much are you caring all about me, comfortable, happy? What do I do so that I can feel and experience that? Or am I willing to put that aside because I want food that lasts for all eternity? And who's the only one that can give that? The Son of Man will give you that. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. This is where you can legitimately put in there. He can see if you are really seeking. And he then can't wait to give it to you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Again, Jesus reminds them that uh, the Father and I, were in this together. So you always think about God the Father. Well, I'm God the Son. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Good question. Okay, what must we do? I want to know, you said we have to do We have to do works that God requires, okay? What must we do? Did you notice? Did you notice Jesus answered and it didn't take two pages of red letters? The answer is not complicated. It's actually, it's one sentence. If you really want to do what pleases God the Father or what 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 can I do that meets his approval? And, and we should want that. That should be a desire of ours. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. This is what he wants. To believe in the one he has sent. If you want to put a smile on God the Father's face, you just believe in his son and what he's come to do for you. Why doesn't he have to go on explaining and two more pages of explanation? Because he knows once you meet his son, once you meet and begin a relationship with Jesus, you will discover your own pages. Because that's the foundation. That's the start. God says, you want to know what what is going to meet my approval? You just believe in my son. And your new life will begin. So they asked him, I couldn't believe my ears. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the man in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I just wonder if Jesus ever rolled his eyes. Do you ever wonder if he ever rolled his eyes? (laughs) I mean, he's so patient. And, he, and you don't see him getting upset here. But I think he rolls as I say, boy, I hope these three years go slow because they're slow learners. <laughs> Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. And this is going to jolt them when he says, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. I want you to see, remember last week when he gave that sermon, he was trying to get them to see, I am so much bigger than Moses. I am more than John the Baptist. Scripture is all about 
coming to know me. He tried so many avenues in his sermon last week. And he's trying to remind them. I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. I want you to know that six times in this chapter alone, Jesus refers that he came from heaven. Six times in this one chapter alone, he makes sure that they hear this repeatedly. I came from heaven. For the bread of God, the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. He's trying to get them past. It's not Old Testament anymore. We need Old Testament to remind us that that since the fall of man, God started the process of bringing the Redeemer. But Jesus is saying, I'm the one. So let's not go back there anymore. We don't have to. For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven. You want the real bread? Now, did, did you notice that he repeats some of the same things over and over? And we're going to hear this same thing again in a minute. And then they come back and say, sir, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Why does he say that I am the bread of life, I am the living water? Why does he say you eat of me, you drink of me? You will be satisfied because there's nothing of this world that can satisfy us. We might temporarily be satisfied, but he knows that he's the only one that can actually satisfy our soul. We watch the things of this world. We watch people who have materialistically have everything they could possibly want. And if they're not connected to Jesus, it's never enough. They always want more because it doesn't satisfy. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life because you eat from me. You will find no matter what you're going through, I'm enough. You can't lose me. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. From our last couple lessons, what do you think is a key word in that verse? That's it. Whoever. When Jesus says these words, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And who did the Father give? For God so loved who? The world. So who did the Father give to Jesus? Every one of us. And what does Jesus promise? That if anyone comes to him and wants to know him, the whoever, whoever comes to him, what does Jesus promise? I will never what? I will never. 
I will never drive them away. I just, I want you to underline that verse. I, I want to make sure you know that. All that the Father gives me. If you want to remind yourself, I put in John 3, 16 there, the Father loved the world and handed the world over to Jesus and said, your blood will be shed for the world. Whoever, whoever believes in, whoever believes. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Yeah, because it was the Father, Jesus said in himself, God so loved the world. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. What is the Father's will? That none of them perish, that everybody comes to him so that he can raise everyone up on the last day? When I read that verse, I thought to myself, you know, I bet, I bet God so hoped that hell would only consist of three beings. And that was the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself. It was God's desire that hell was made only for those three. It was God's will that there would be no one else in hell. When I look at those verses, I don't question that for a second. God wanted all of us to be raised up on that last day. To be able to experience all what Jesus did for us. But unfortunately, I'm afraid hell's going to be quite full. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him. Because he said the, he said the truth. And the truth was, was, I am the bread that came down from heaven. That was the truth. He said that. I tell you the truth. I am the one. I am the bread of life. I came from heaven. I'm the one you should be been looking for. But in our human nature, if you don't want to see it, if you don't want to hear it, you won't. If you don't want to be the whoever finds eternal life, you'll be the whoever that doesn't. And then you'll find those have consequences. And here's the whoever. They just put all logic. They said, look, he's the one that's saying, I'm the bread of life. I came from heaven. And they come back and say, isn't he just Joseph and Mary's kid? We saw him grow up. We even heard that he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. She was due at, at tax time. Oh, we heard all about it. So we know the day he was born, we saw him grow up. So when in the world he came from heaven? See, but if you don't want to know, I don't see them asking any questions, do you? They ask a question. How can he say, I came down from heaven? What should they have done? Stop your grumbling and go ask the one. If you've got a question... Go to him and ask him. 
Go seeking. Go knocking. If you want to know. But see, they didn't want to. They really didn't want to. They really didn't care. So Jesus said, stop grumbling among yourselves. I just can't believe his patience. I mean, he's firm, but he tries again. He comes at them again. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. I don't want any confusion there. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, how does the Father draw us to Jesus? How does the Father tell every one of us that we need a Savior? We would, because we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, want to see that on our own. I was going to do Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I really was going to sing that song tonight. I, I feel bad I, I didn't do that. Because we need to turn. We need the Holy Spirit to tell us to turn. Because we are not naturally in the direction of seeking Jesus out. Because we're in our human nature too self-consumed. So when it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father loved the world. He gave his son. But the third person of the Trinity, his number one job is to draw you and I to Jesus. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is all over this world? And he's whispering in every human being's ear that they need a Savior. And that's why the sin against the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. Because if the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear and reminding you and telling you that you're a sinner and only the blood and his grace can buy you back, the Holy Spirit... You know, I always kind of picture the Holy Spirit as, you know, he's flying everywhere and, he's, and then he, he props himself on somebody's shoulder at a sermon or a Bible study or, or wherever. And he's, he's, he's making sure that that person hears the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, listen. You need Jesus. You need a Savior. I, I picture the Holy Spirit doing that because, you know, Jesus isn't coming back until everyone has it heard. Matthew says that. Jesus himself said it. One of the signs of the times will be when the gospel has been brought to the world. And so I picture the Holy Spirit just going all over the world and he is sitting on people's shoulders and he's whispering in their ears in, in church or in prison or... And he's telling people because through missionaries, through evangelism, through you need a savior, you need a savior. And then whoever... What are you going to do with that whisper? What are you going to do with that information? And if you're one of the whoever that says, yes, I know I'm a sinner saved by grace and help me to the cross. Do you know that that Holy Spirit, he jumps from your shoulder and now dwells inside of you? Isn't that a beautiful picture? He's going to make sure everybody hears 
But then what they do with it's up to them. But if you're the one of the whoever that believes in him, he will come and live in your heart and you will never be the same. And Jesus is saying, and I want you to be rest assured, I can't wait to raise you up on that day. And what a day that's going to be. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. See, that just makes sense. The Father draws us to the Son through the power of his Spirit. That's how it works. And Jesus said, that's why I came. To all those who listen to the Spirit and say, I, I need that Savior. I tell you the truth. Well, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And again, here's this repetitious story. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert. And look what he says. Yet they died. I guess it didn't make them live forever. But look at, I am the bread of life. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone, I hope you're catching that again. Anyone, anyone who eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Well, this was hard. And all they could, I think all they thought was, that's gross. Is he a cannibal? But see, there again, they didn't want to know the truth. All they were thinking was human logic. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. That's about the third, fourth time he said that. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread. I think this is about the fifth, sixth time you said that. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. Repeat. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Why do we need repetition? Stubborn, stubborn, thick skull, whatever. I don't want to. And because of his grace and mercy, he keeps coming back. That is so wonderful. But just let me warn you, the day is going to come. There's no more chances. So 
He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Okay, I'm hearing this. <laughs> this doesn't surprise me, though. I'm hearing this, many of his disciples. Now, we're not talking the 12. Disciple means a follower of Christ. And he was getting many followers. And we, we know that many were following for, you know, because they were curious, but they weren't throwing all their eggs into the heavenly basket. And so they were hearing his teachings, and they didn't like it. And so they said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? See, if you want to understand it, you can. Because we've been given the Holy Spirit. Well, they will take words on a page and give us an understanding. They, they said it right. I don't want to accept it. And see, there, there again, you couldn't have heard it plainer and more times about eating from his body, drinking his blood, accepting his life on the cross, his sacrifice on the cross. You couldn't have heard it any more times. And yet, you know what they're saying? I don't, I don't want to accept this. Aware that his disciples were grumbling again, and again, what is grumbling? I don't I didn't hear what I wanted to hear. He didn't give me another meal. He told me I had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Yuck. Instead of saying, what does that mean? Can you explain that more? So I, I have to believe that when Jesus said this, I, he had a, I think he had a little smirk on his face. He said, I almost want to add this. Excuse me, does this offend you? That's the way I think he said it. I mean, does this offend you? Because does Jesus care if he offends? Now when it comes to the truth, does he care if he's politically correct? Not if it's the truth. He could care less if he's offending anybody. Because it is the truth. He is the bread of life. He's the living water. His blood. We drink his blood because it's the only sacrifice that redeems us and buys us back. But they didn't want to hear that. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Did you notice that it sounds like a question but ends in an explanation mark? If it starts because he says, what if... Doesn't that sound like a question? What if? But yet it ends in an exclamation point. So that means this isn't a question. But yet he's saying to them, you better consider this because you are going to see the Son of Man. You're going to see the Son of Man ascend. And he's also saying, and you're going to, and you're going to see him face to face where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I'm just putting a great big warning sign in front of you here. Does this offend you? Because if it offends you and you don't want to go there and you're going to see me face to face, you think about that one. That's basically what he's saying. The Spirit gives life 
The flesh in and of itself counts for nothing. It's the Holy Spirit that gets you to understand and to get it. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you that do not believe. And again, I want you to see this next verse in black letters. John makes sure that we know this. So he inserts this. For Jesus had known from the beginning. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. From the beginning. Where was Jesus? Always was. And he knows. Do we understand all that? No. I think the more I get to know him, the more I understand that a little bit more. Because you just accept it by faith. He always was. And he always knew. And all he wants me to do is trust and believe that. John writes, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe. He even knew who would betray him. From the beginning, he knew. And in our human minds, we then well, why did he pick him then? Because I think he wants us to see that that man heard the same things, saw the same miracles, at the same chance, and yet, I don't want to accept this. What a contrast in his own men for us to see a lesson. And then, because I believe for, I know that he turns all things out for good to those who love him. He saw Judas's art. He knew he never would respond. Wasn't his fault. He had a chance. But because from the beginning he knew, I can use this. I can use Judas can be the one. See, the key is he knew from the beginning and he has lessons for us and everything. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. He responded, he did not respond to the Spirit. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's a heartbreaking verse. You do not want, then he turns to his 12. I said, hey, come on, do you, how about you? Do you want to leave too? Verse 66, I'm here to tell you, this was, this was so beautiful. I mean, we know that Peter's got a long way to go. We know that he's going to even deny. We know. But right here, right here and now, Peter makes a statement that even though you and I have got a long way to go and we're going to make some big blunders in our spiritual journey, I pray we have come to the point that we can say, Lord, to whom shall we go? There is no one else we could go to that can do for us what you did. So when Peter said that, those are the same words that you and I should know, even though we know that we've got a long way to go. Are we saying this with truth and confidence? 
I come to you, Jesus, because you're the only one that I can go. There is no other person on this earth that can do for me what you did. You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, when you were studying this, don't you wish that the chapter ended there? But there is verse 70 and 71, and I think John had a reason that after we heard Peter's statement, because so many times the way John ends is like he says, I want you to leave thinking about this. It's so easy to leave in the nice, warm, fuzzy, it all turns out fine. But he says, no, when it comes to this, we've all got to make sure that we take a look. There is, there is another side, and you've got to know it. Have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet yeah, one of you is a devil. Just think in our churches and even in Bible studies, and he knows. He knows that there could be one in here that really doesn't know. And he has given every one of us another opportunity. Now, we don't know what the rest of tonight will bring or tomorrow. But when we leave here right now, this very moment, I used to sing a song that said, we have this moment to hold in our hands and to touch as it slips through our fingers like sand. That's what moments do. Yesterday's gone, tomorrow may never come. But we have this moment today. And I think, I think John puts that reality back in there that said no one ever knew. Even up to the Last Supper, the disciples, when he said, one of you is going to betray me, is it I? Is it I? All through those three years of ministry, Judas had him buffaloed. But Jesus, from the beginning, could see his heart. And while we have this moment, I pray you take a good look at your heart. Because really, you're not fooling the one who made, who made the, who made the um, redemption possible for you. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth. May we take to heart. May we realize that today is the day of salvation. None of us knows what tomorrow will bring. That has been very clear. You repeated yourself over and over. Anything of this world dies. Only when we eat from the bread of life will we live forever and be satisfied here. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.